0: Mr. Mayor, we've come to the end of what was a very eventful 2023, right? (laughs) So when you look at the totality of the year, if you had to describe it, and it's tough to do, in one word, what would that word be,
1: and tell me why? Uh, New York. Uh, This is a place where every day you wake up, uh, you could experience everything from a plane crashing into our trade center to a a person who's celebrating a new business that's open. Uh, This is a very, very complicated city, and that's why it's the greatest city on the globe.
0: welcome everybody left reckoning 151 gaza in 2024 elections falling flat featuring our good friend emma vigland my name is david griscom i'm broadcasting to y'all live from austin texas and matt beaming in from the greatest city in the world new york how you doing that
2: i am in the greatest city of new york where you know i'm getting my dunk in and i'm like i'm looking at a building just expecting a plane to crash (laughs) right into that thing or I'm celebrating the opening of a new bodega where you can buy vape pen oil. (laughs) Um, So it's very cool, uh, very great, the best city in the world, um, uh, New York. The thing about Eric Adams is like, you can just, you can sort of like BS- bs could get you so far It could make you the mayor of new york <laughs> yeah. but at a certain point you like it's sort of like the thread the tread is you're running a little bit on bare tires and i think that's where eric adams is a little bit so it's like eric is there anything else on your mind than you know dealing with business owners which is his main you know constituency that he's concerned about and being like oh crap if a 9 happens i'll get some of that rudy giuliani shine and I'll be able to turn this whole thing around.
0: <laughs> you know, that's probably not too far off. <laughs> oh man. Well, we have a really great episode. In just a little bit, we're gonna be joined uh, by Emma Vigland, of course, and we're gonna be talking about Gaza and how in the light of everything that's happening over there, it's sort of hard to uh get into what's going on in the halls of Congress twenty-four elections. But I think before we get to that map, um know we we did our bump steer of the year which was our episode last uh week and we you know broke down some of the worst uh, characters of the year uh surprise to no one it was joe biden um but a very close runner-up was john fetterman um but all right so we've already looked backwards so now we can maybe look a little bit forwards and i just have this quick uh lesson here from a, a eugene deb's uh piece that i had read recently and just to set it up uh, really quick, you know, we have to think about what this next year is going to mean for the socialist movement in this country. Um, and I think the biggest question that we all need to be considering is how to build a stronger movement going into this next year. And what's in front of us, it's going to be a fight as always for labor and for democracy and against empire. How can we embolden that fight is the big question, right? And says, oh, we got to return to labor. Oh, we got to return to doing mass politics. Oh, we got to grow all this kind of stuff. Like really thinking about what that means, I think is important. And you can do that by looking a little bit backwards at what the Biden administration has meant for the socialist movement, right? There have been significant victories, particularly on the local and state level, as more members of the DSA have been elected on city and state level offices. That has massive promise for the future of this movement. The The embeddedness in the labor movement too, I think has been one of the most exciting and important things. Remember, like not only these big wins for the UAW, these big wins for the Teamsters, um, but I think a narrative that has been missed is how much of a role DSA members have played within that. I'm not trying to say to take credit or anything like that, but there are people who are in, in, in positions of influence, power, volunteer positions who have been out there showing up, participating in these movements. That's real. That's the kind of rootedness in the class struggle that we need. And of course, you couldn't ignore um, the the movements against the slaughter in Gaza, right? These massive street movements and the public education that we've seen, right? So we've seen a lot of successes, right? But uh, this has also been a period of fragmentation and disappointment. The Bernie movement is over in the sense of you know being able to coalesce around a grand presidential campaign at that scale and promise. Add in the frustration uh, with many of the symbolic leaders of this movement, we're talking about the squad, we're talking about influential media figures. Um, The space between supporters of these movements and the leaders itself has been shown. And I think that has created a lot of frustration. And that has led us into a strategic and I think theoretical crisis in our movement. And the question is, what lessons should we learn from this period and how to reorient? And there's been this fragmentation, particularly around this question, right? That has a full spectrum all the way from everything that has happened since 2015 has been a big scam and people were trying to bamboozle and derail and destroy the movement that's one camp to another camp that sort of says hey this is the slow march of progress we should continue doing what we were doing without i think the truth of that sort of lands somewhere more in the middle um but we're seeing this fragmentation i think really expand and i think going into 2024 the task ahead of us has to be finding a way to revive that spirit of mass politics, doing politics at the national scale, building and growing and articulating for a better future, but also while we're doing that, not let the, um, the immediate goals of our movement allow us to get sloppy about articulating the heart of uh, the heart of our critique. That all these fights that we are engaged in will ultimately be unsuccessful until we can weaken the power of the capitalist class, and the power of the working class. This brought me to a piece that we'll read a little bit from from Eugene Debs, the leader of the Socialist Party, um, who is the most successful socialist on a general presidential ballot ever. And he wrote this piece around the time when he was running for president um, again uh, from prison. I'm going to make this a little bit bigger, um, but also just important to note uh, that this was written when Eugene Debs uh, was was imprisoned and running uh, for the president of the United States. So the piece is called, Why Are We Not Stronger? And he says, one reason, and in my opinion, a very real one, why we have not better succeeded in organizing the workers is to be found in our intolerant attitude and ill-tempered spirit towards those of our own class and our own ultimate uh, aim who differ from us. Socialists, communists, anarchists, syndicalists, and wobblies spend more time and energy fighting each other than they do fighting capitalism. Each faction assumes that it is entirely right And that all others are entirely wrong a very human way of seeing things but far better calculated to prevent than to promote the effective effectiveness of organization of the workers this next one here there are of course and of necessary differences and necessity of differences between these various groups of organized workers and these differences are wholesome result in clear um in clear understanding corresponding unity and solidarity provided they are met in the right spirit and are made the means of promoting intelligent discussion and acquiring more truth and greater knowledge, thereby building and adding up new strength uh, to the organization. And he goes on to sort of articulate why is it that we can't have debates um, and and uh, conversations and political differences within our own movement without a, you know, falling in uh, to bitter infighting. And he says up next, personally, I have equal respect um, for all who stand foursquare for the working class and for the overthrow of the capitalist system, whether they be socialists, communists, anarchists, or the Wobblies, I don't find it necessary to hate and denounce them because their method, di- their method differs from mine. They may be right. I don't think they are, but I have been mistaken a good many times in the past and I'm just as apt to be so now as anyone else. this last bit here, I think, really gets um, to what we're talking about here. So I read this in a communist paper. The first thing we must do is smash the Socialist Party. The writer of that sentiment will find ready allies in Wall Street, the Chamber of Commerce, and the Manufacturers Association, and I am inclined to think they would pay a round price for the job. More than likely, this comrade, who now calls himself a communist, once belonged to the Socialist Party. Now he wants to smash it. His former comrades are either crooks or fools, and he must now devote his time to smashing their party. He then adds, we know that the Socialist Party is not all that it should be, but instead of deserting it, we are going to do our best to make it a clean, viral, um, uncompromising um, revolutionary party of the workers in their worldwide struggle for industrial freedom. I've been reading another communist comrade who sneers with scorn at persons from whom and the places from where he got his first lessons in socialism. They seem to appear utterly contemptible in his eyes since he has scaled the peaks of science and now sees it all with clear eye and an outstanding heart. I I confess I cannot understand that feeling. I have not only a deep sense of gratitude, but a sort of reverence for those who gave me the least help or encouragement in finding my way into the socialist movement. And there shall never be in my heart or upon my lips a sneer for one of them, however far the movement may have left them behind. He ends here by saying something, and I think this is maybe the energy we should take into this next year of struggle. Um, I hope we have a more decent, tolerant, and truly revolutionary spirit in our attitude toward those whom we differ, um, differ in the movement, and that we may devote our whole time and energy in organizing the workers into one industrial union and one political party for the gigantic struggle which confronts them and which they must win or remain in slavery. The most effective answer to those who sneer at political action is with silence when argument fails. Let them alone, and stick to your work of education and organization. And you know, I, again, I highly suggest people read the whole piece. Why we are not stronger by Eugene Debs? Remember, he wrote this um, when he was in prison by the state for opposing the uh, for opposing World War One, American involvement in World War One. Um, Eugene Debs was not somebody that you could call a reformist. Um, But he was seeing, I think, uh, very similar things to what we are seeing today. Things that I think are almost worse because at least then people were members of organizations um, who might have been fighting with one another um, versus now where a lot of times when people say, oh, I'm a communist or an anarchist or a socialist or whatever. uh, What that means is a kind of personal, spiritual, social identification rather than as a member of an actual organized um, and activated a block of, of working people. But i mean i think that we've been seeing this for for years since we've been on the left right matt um you know this kind of capacity to wage war stronger with those close to you than our enemies and and i I want to throw to you to hear hear your thoughts on this but i will say like none of this is a call to not have those fights to not have Mm -hmm. those debates those are really really important um but it's actually having a capacity and ability to work in a comradely way with one another Um, so that we can build a strong working class movement and learn from one another when, yeah, maybe, you know, a certain perspective or tendencies. Strategy is wrong in a moment, Um, or at least you can articulate yours better uh, with engaging in that. And I think that that's something that's really fallen to the wayside, especially as I think, as Eugene Debs puts really well there, all those people in his time who are members of the Socialist Party, who left the Socialist Party and joined other ones, deciding that, oh, you know, all these things that sort of cultivated me and, you know, I grew with, you know, are now my number one enemies. I think you can see that a lot uh, with people who are very gung-ho for Bernie Sanders 2016, 2020, who are now super-based online communists who have no place uh, for anyone else.
2: Yeah. Well, I also, like, one thing, like, this goes with my favorite line of thought, which is, like, to not pathologize or since one over-catastrophize things because Mm. this is things that, if people watched my... Um, viewing of the Prairie Trilogy documentary series of the North Dakota Socialists. Henry Martinson talked about this and how they had to come to the defense of the Wobblies uh, who were getting arrested for um, actually, you know doing in-person civil disobedience in Minot, North Dakota. And despite you know, not agreeing with the Wobblies approach, which he thought was a little bit alienating, Um, in in certain respects, like they felt the need to show solidarity with them because what they're doing was was fundamentally for the workers. Um, And I just think like, these are I I don't think people should get into the line of like, oh, the left sucks and look at the left doing this wrong. These are things, these Mm -hmm. are waters that we have to navigate and have always had to be navigated. It's the difficulty of dealing with, you know, different people um, in like a large scale. Um, But I love Debs' approach because that's how I feel. You know, I don't, I'm a DSA member, um, but, you know, when people like call in and say I'm PSL or I'm a different, like, I, I, I'm, I take the approach of like any of those, <laughs> like honestly, like people say like, and people make things so much about voting. It's like, um, so like I don't want to vote. It's like, well, okay, that's good. Are you a member of like a communist party or something like that, or is it just online that you express yourself? Um, you know, I, I think like as long as people are doing the work like this, um, I, I I've I think that you should be open to uh, you know. And, and also extend charity and sympathy and like a little bit of humility um, uh, towards people.
0: And I, and I think that's just the sort of it is coming into this with understanding that we have a lot in front of us, a lot that needs to be done, but coming into it with a lot of humility and, uh, you know, comradeliness, knowing that we are weak and we need to be doing a lot better than we've been doing. Um, but, anyways, hopefully we can bring some of that spirit into uh, 2024. Um, but I think if you're ready, Matt, we could bring in our guests.
2: Yes, I think, uh, well, hold on, let me get this ready. Okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. Um, welcome. I'd like oh, to welcome right home. Yeah, my coworker, Emma Vigland, here into uh, the man cave here. We got, uh, it's a nice day. We've got sports memorabilia on the wall. We got a poker table right in the middle um, okay, for you, Emma, and also a sushi chef right there. So, you know... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, this is infinitely infinitely more upscale than the Tim Pool compound, I've got to say. Like, I mean, this almost has some sort of Great Gatsby vibe to it here. I mean, we have someone serving us like that?
2: <laughs> Wait, you're saying Tim Pool's thing isn't like this? I'm,
1: t- I'm saying it's not like this. I'm saying that if I had seen such a setup and first of all is this ai uh generated because that's
2: yeah it is <laughs> um i asked ai to show me the inside of tim pool's compound and this is what it came up with and i guess ai is not as powerful as we thought it is if this is you're saying this is an act because in my mind when i think of tim pool like finishing his show and talking about you know like uh <laughs> LGBT memoirs for young teenagers and getting like red faced about it. I like to imagine him not taking the beanie off, keeping the beanie on, but metaphorically taking the beanie off and mm-hmm. you know showing up to a place like this and you know relaxing. It doesn't look like that.
1: No, it does not necessarily look like that. Although I w- um I will say I'm seeing in the chat here. Is my sound too low? Am I uh, it's a little I, low.
2: I bumped yep. it up here too. You bumped me um, up. Alright,
1: yeah. I, I um I didn't fully test this before but yeah no it it does this looks much swankier this is someplace that I would actually consider hanging out uh at mm. um having okay. a drink or two I mean honestly if maybe like it, the bubble tea thing does not appeal to me I'm not a tea drinker um I would have p- potentially drank an alcohol but actually there really is very little that he could have offered that <laughs> would have enticed me to stay um Cause just the energy was really bad, and all I wanted to do was leave and call you guys from the road just to tell dish on on everything that went down there. But I did mm. tell you right, like there's that whole wall of caricatures uh, down at the at the Tim Pool compound, which is si- It's like drawn caricatures of Steve Bannon that he signed, of Marjorie Taylor Greene that he signed. I wonder if I have that photo, honestly. Um, and then there's like oh, yeah. a, a an arcade kind of like area or something like that. It's just that the image that you generated or that AI falsely generated is is way too like adult uh, for for the t- Tim Pool compound. But what's up, you guys? How are you?
2: Hey, Emma. It's good to talk to you. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, that's good. I, I I had that idea. I just I needed to imagine. <laughs> Reddit,
0: uh, Neverland for Redditors, right? <laughs> Neverland yeah,
1: I, lands. Yeah, a little bit, a little. I mean, that's the thing that is just interesting. Is like I don't know. I don't know why we don't have our like crap together and creating our own kind of compound where everyone seemingly lives together in a working relationship. It's probably because we have a a healthy relationship with what work actually means. Um, yeah. and we don't need like sycophants to live with us or reside and do all of our social time with creates a little bit of an unhealthy situation. I might say, I must say,
2: we don't have a yeah, narcissistic personality disorder. It would be funny <laughs> to all live in a compound with like RM Brown. And you know, <laughs> I do actually that. speaking of which, um, th- he's been covering this RM Brown. People who don't know should check out the RM Brown YouTube channel, yes. but the, uh, what's the good moon Lord. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like things are getting a little bit tense in the compound. I don't know.
1: Cabin fever? Compound fever? Yeah.
0: yeah, Right. It's it's in West Virginia, right?
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
0: Yeah, that's a rough one. If you're making people move, no offense to West Virginia or anything like that, but if you're making people move far away.
1: It's uh, close to, I would say, so like I flew in to Dulles to get there. I mean, not to give out his assassination coordinates or anything. (laughs) I mean, he... (laughs) it's like 45 minutes from from dulles so it's it's close to virginia slash dc um but but right. it, but it is in west virginia
2: yeah people can you know do their own research for if they yeah exactly yeah doing do more but uh emma um <laughs> that aside you know let's get out of the man cave uh sushi man cave <laughs> um mm-hmm. and, well i keep forgetting what, a tour a tour sushi and poke with the boys right yes, um yes. Uh, we've had this conversation, um, before, uh, off air, but, uh, one thing that I have been sort of obsessed with is another holiday passes where I can't really enjoy the holiday because I'm mainly thinking about, oh, this horrifying, uh, genocide, I think easily Mm -hmm. have to call it, uh, uh, collection of war crimes, ethnic cleansing, Uh, all appropriate you know the words a lot of words that can be appropriate um ruins another holiday like i I remember like on halloween thinking like yeah that kind of feels weird embracing sort of morbidity uh because of what's going on now and we have this case now I, i do want to play put enter into the record uh israel spokesperson uh calling south africa uh uh friends of hamas uh here because south africa is pursuing uh, 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 war crimes charges uh here's this spokesperson condemns south africa's decision to play advocate for the devil and to make itself criminally complicit with the perpetrators uh of the October 7th. We
1: can't pause it like this, right? I'm here, I was (laughs) still in work mode. But, okay, I'm sorry, but when you say the devil, what audience is he speaking to? Which audience is he speaking to there? He's speaking to a Christian evangelical audience. Sorry about that. Yeah,
2: exactly. No, I I think that's important to underline, because I think there's still a game being played that I think, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we can retire like it's fucking uh, operation or something, but... Where when people are criticizing Israel and supporters of Israel and they use the word Zionist, like, I mean, Mick Huckabee as much as I mean Bibi Netanyahu. Right. Like, because guess what? Like, they're the, those people are as and Joe Biden, for that matter. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. So we're talking about the devil. Uh, yeah. Mick Huckabee loves that sort of talk. I don't know who else does around here. You caught the sand disease. It's Mike. With the perpetrator yeah. <laughs> of the October 7 massacre. On October 7th, South Africa openly aligned itself with the Hamas rapist regime when it blamed Israel for Hamas's violation of the ceasefire and covered up Hamas's crimes against humanity. It is now aiding and abetting that machinery of genocide. Uh, You know, I mean, I don't know how much of this we need to actually watch. Um, A lot of this is projection, the getting in the way of investigations. Uh, No, actually, what should have happened after October 7th is... Uh, international peacekeeping operation uh, and uh, to actually investigate those sort of things. Israel wanted to use this as an opportunity to ethnically cleanse Gaza, and they took it like that. And so we don't actually have uh, the conditions for an actual investigation into anything like that, uh, including not just what Hamas did, but what Israel did in response. uh, And as it trickles out, that IDF looks to have been responsible for a number of uh, a large number of Israeli civilian casualties itself. So, you know, that's where uh, Israel's at and it's, I, I love that South Africa is leading this because uh, Israel misses as uh, I rate lump points out, Israel misses its old friend, apartheid South Africa. Mm. And uh, I would recommend uh, uh essay collection. I think Israel and apartheid um South Africa, I think it's just called that. It's edited by Elon Pappy. First essay is by former TMBS guest Ronnie Kasrils, and it goes very. Who was uh, you know a leading member of the ANC and uh, belief like even involved with the MK? I can't remember Casrills, bio specifically but i would look up him just straightforwardly saying yes actually what we're seeing is comparable and in many ways even more dire than what we were facing in the 80s and so uh and, and the decades leading up to that so um i mean that's a, a long way to say uh it's been hard to cover uh wacky stuff going on in congress hasn't it emma <laughs>
1: yeah i mean david you i don't want to i feel like i've been talking too much so let me know if I you're the to. guest okay <laughs> well um so i mean yeah it's been hard i mean we've talked about this off air Matt. just like um at first it's not about us necessarily i mean but well so we can start there i guess in just the sense that it's so relentless and i couldn't i guess i i have like a deep kind of um resentment level for like people that are able to go about their day normally or celebrate a holiday without understanding that the holy land i mean i don't believe in god but at least it's supposedly central in the christmas carols that you know i'm listening to in the background as i open up a you know a purse that i got for christmas or something like that is (laughs) currently being bombed um and basically, minimum, we have 22,000 dead at this point. The presumed dead figure is 30,000. The number of maimed is also what gets to me because it gets so uh, underreported in the number of uh, kids that have had to have amputations without anesthesia, the maggots coming out of wounds, the premature babies um, dying and decomposing, the just like quotidian humiliation in the West Bank. Um, the stripping and humiliation of any male that's essentially presumed to be Hamas at this point um, by the Israeli government, and then you have the Western press saying, like, this is what Israel claims. It's just Mm. tiring at this point. Um, But, of course, it pales in comparison to anything that anybody is going through um, as a Palestinian-American, let alone, of course, as a Palestinian. So it's just crazy to me how right-wing thought and train of uh, and propaganda works so similarly, even though Israel's a different country, although, as I said earlier, I think they're trying to appeal to a Western audience. Um, Now that they call it a genocide, I, I would love for that spokesperson to actually come up with some sort of factual claim as to how Hamas or Palestinian people are in any way committing genocide against Israelis. They're trying to evoke the Holocaust, um, and I think you often, which is cynical, and I think Holocaust revisionism, which Netanyahu regularly engages in, by the way, by, you know, mm. he, he spread a conspiracy theory that the Palestinian Grand Mufti gave Hitler the idea to exterminate. But he's Jews. been
0: saying that for years, by the way. You know? Totally.
1: I mean, that's Holocaust. That's deeply, deeply dangerous Holocaust revisionism, and this is the person, you know, these are the people leading the country. Um, but I, I to... <laughs> To, you, you kind of touched on it earlier, Matt. The term genocide, there's a reticence to use it, I think, um, because there's like this I, cultural or Western association, I think, twofold with these two with two things. One, people think of the genocide as equal to the Holocaust only, um, mm-hmm. mostly in the Western conception of what genocide is. Let alone like the genocides we engaged in, like in Cambodia, or I mean, we could we could talk about the 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 united states's role in genocide historically but there have been that i mean we can the armenian genocide the you know what what this in sudan or in the congo like there have been genocide is a, a part of human history outside yeah. of the hev- the incredibly industrialized um wide scale massive horrific atrocity of the holocaust where six million jews were were exterminated there are genocides of different scales. The, the thing that sticks out about the Holocaust in many ways is because it's in Europe and also of how efficient it was not to, you know, and or not efficient. Industrial, in, yeah. Industrialized is a better word for it. Um. So, like, in the Western imagination, they think of the Holocaust as this one thing or, or genocide as this one thing where and as a historical event where it's only look, looking backwards. People read about genocides in history as opposed to when they are ongoing and, and happening currently. And I feel like it's deeply important in understanding our history to be able to call out crimes of genocide in the present in order to prevent them from turning into full-scale genocides of, of the scale that we're talking about here. So yeah. I don't fully understand the hesitancy to use that term to be honest with you
2: well i mean sorry david uh, uh, we've been going back but like that this is why like on october 8th i remember saying like as somebody from uh occupied sioux territory uh and mandan and hidatsa and Arikara, um i am fully aware of yes this is actually the way that this land was taken was the exact same way that Palestinian land is taken. And it is with the extreme propagandistic focus on certain atrocities that are committed by the occupied population, that you, whose land you're trying to take. And you will use whatever media you have. Back then it was pamphlets and newspapers and telegrams. Now it's the internet. And you will use that as a way to use it as an extermin- Like Terrorism is not an existential threat people knew that after 9-11 actually this is it's really our response to this and uh that is the real threat but some people don't see that as a threat they see it as a opportunity actually which is exactly what israel did with october 7th and which is why like as this has, has developed i still can't get over certain people saying israel would never bomb a hospital it's like do you even know what you're y- y'all don't even know what you're commenting on.
0: i mean yeah. that's the, that's the thing that i think has been like i, I think is just really important to just highlight again and again and again is that like what we're seeing right now with like the ridiculous statements from netanyahu from the israeli government they're not new right it's, it's not like oh you know these f- folks have been sort of shell-shocked and you know they're they're they're, they're you know scrambling for an answer this is just standard operating procedure for israeli government spokespeople and how they i mean a couple weeks ago we played a video um you know that seemed like it was recent of netanyahu talking about how being investigated um by the icc was anti-semitic right that was actually from 2017 and it's just the point is that like this is always how they're operating and how israel sort of communicates with the world i mean the hope and i think you know the thing that has been you know not to be too much of an optimist here because it is extremely de- devastating is seeing how much people are sort of becoming aware of mm-hmm. of the way that israel operates um by being exposed to it in in, in this way um but it's it's a very striking uh, difference between the way that maybe popular like social media or independent media is covering this and the changes that we're seeing there um and certainly like if you you know people probably spent time with family over the the holiday weekend and you probably were exposed to way more cable (laughs) news than you normally consume um and just seeing oh lord this is still how they're talking about this right still it's just constant coverage of october 7th as if one that event um has just been ongoing for three months no what has happened since then has just been a mass scale slaughter of palestinian people in um yeah it's just this is something that is just deeply rooted in the way that israel sort of operates and and, and communicates with the rest of the world um and and i think that uh, you know it's it's absolutely critical to recognize that this is something that is just deeply rooted and not like a trauma response or stress response
1: no yeah, i mean yeah. to your point like even in that clip he says he calls it what the the rapist regime mm-hmm. um, yeah. is he referring to hamas like yeah. I mean, we have to also not to trivialize the possibility of sexual violence having occurred. Um, I, I yeah. think, as a woman, I would never do that. That's horrific, um, and that happens in more time. That's clear. But um, those accusations have been made by both sides, um, and and and, yeah. and um, one side gets in, man- in a, a high-profile New York Times piece about it. Very, co- co- you know, oddly. Um, I, I, I think, times because we're talking... I mean, this is what we were doing about three or four weeks ago when we're debating about whether from the river to the sea or into intifada means genocide, which obviously it does not. How can we bring the conversation to a different place, whether it be backwards-facing towards October 7th, and then we evoke images of very scary Arab men raping white-passing women or can we make it about college campuses and college univer- or university presidents and like i think that people's media literacy about these kinds of things let alone foreign policy media literacy and the lessons that we did or did not learn from the Iraq war is so much lower among liberals that normally i feel like have or at least when yeah. it relates to Trump will try to have a critical eye about some of these things it is all taken at face value, and it's just like trudging through mud to get to the gen. The, 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 I mean, okay, fine, the genocide or the mass slaughter of Palestinians, um, the at least eleven thousand children that have killed have been killed, and you know, yeah, people will say, well, we could we can focus on two things at once, but can we really? Can we really? Because when we're giving equal time to a conversation about a slogan, it. It equates it, – it still uh, bolsters this false notion that these are two sides and that this is a war as opposed to a one-sided mass slaughter.
2: Yeah, you can't uh, – you, you can't um, – oh, I just going to say um, uh, Lone uh, Wander. I feel sorry for the Palestinians, but I don't know if they should have started October 7th as they did, but I know they're desperate as the Israelis I mean, my thing with that is, like, first of all, they tried uh, peaceful protest as you were and got shot like fucking prairie dogs uh, on a March goat on time. a hill. Yep. Yeah. So, like, um, I, I think that sort of, like, I don't know what they should have done. You live in a
0: country where, like, BDS has been made a legal state. Exactly. State, right. It's, you know, it's, and it's BDS, not relevant. BDS is not even to overpraise it, right, as, like, a strategy. Who knows if it's the best one, if it works the best. But, like, that is, like, the nonviolent strategy, like, par excellence, right? It's just, like, yeah. straight up, we're not. Buying anti-semitic products yeah you know and yeah, yeah having so like nonviolent resistance is you know not allowed and at a certain point it's very clear it's just resistance is not allowed
2: I'm sorry like the truth is um, so uh well to bring it back a little bit um, flattening uh urban area is not justified if there are rapists in there um, and in fact attacking a uh, concert is not justifiable um, uh, just because there're people there you don't like. But it is important to emphasize that Palestinians have a right, not just morally, but under international law to resist occupation. They do. And that can lead to violence. Now, my understanding listening to Hamas spokespeople and you do not have to credit their words as much as you have credit IDF people. What they say is that their plan was to hit targets like the IDF, uh, and sort of places like that. And they achieved more success than they uh, had bargained for because guess what the IDF was doing? It was helping land grabs. And so, uh, and so, yeah, in the the West bank. So, yeah. And you know what? I think probably, uh, uh, I would like to see war crimes on all sides uh, looked into by an international body. The way to do that was always and is always a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. And then a a forcing of both parties to adhere to international law, which Israel is foundationally opposed to, because that would involve a lot of Palestinians getting the right to return to where they are refugees from. And Israel is foundationally is not willing to do that. And so we can have all these conversations about what's the Harvard plagiarism going on, this and that. It's all designed, it's all designed to obscure that that's the reality that Israel is trying to impose on that part of the world right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I also think it dovetails nicely with what you were saying earlier about the um, claims from the Israeli government that It would be disrespectful to the victims to look into the accusations of, you know, rape and what happened on October 7th as well, which to me, I mean, we already know that the beheaded babies thing was not corroborated by any evidence. Um, When you hear that kind of talk, like any other country that was getting coverage in in the Western press, that would be met with skepticism. But we're still, and look, it's they've improved. I understand. Like, I I do think that like that New York Times forensic investigation into the indiscriminate bombing of what was designated as safe zones, like that's good stuff. That guy Eric uh, Toller, I think, is his name, or maybe he's the Washington Post guy. I forget. But um, you know, they're better than the cable press, the print media, I guess. But it still is frustrating too. Like, the the Israeli press <laughs> gets it better, even when they're not necessarily. Um, covering Palestinians in a sympathetic way, the nuts and bolts of what the actually far right government believes in Israel. There's still this incredulity here in the United States because it's like right. Israel's this mythical land with religious mysticism for <laughs> not just Jews but for Christian Zionists in this country. So it's like it's it's like you know Hogwarts. I mean, it's it's this be- <laughs> it, it, and and so they they don't even think of it necessarily as a place that could have someone like a Donald Trump running it and Netanyahu's far worse than Donald Trump and the people in his and they're more you know ideologically fascist um and terroristic and they've been entrenched in there as has that ideology within the Israeli public um for decades at this point to what David said what David was saying like the the this this is of course not something that started on october 7th or even you know a year or two before it this is the natural culmination of a heavily militarized settler colonial project
2: yeah and you know there was all this stuff when trump was president about um look at what this is doing to our credibility uh no one's trusting us on the world stage anymore and i even at that point like uh, you know because I mean, I was a big, you know, Nixon, uh, history guy. It's like, it's, and you look at Reagan people or even Clinton people like, no, that job is the leading liar of the world. And that's what we're seeing right now is like all this shit about, uh, anti-aggression and even anti-genocide we're, that we're willing to deploy when it comes to China, uh, or, or uh, Russia, um, and again, like I am open to uh, expansive definitions of the term genocide as, as you know, carried out by world powers. And then you turn around and you say, "Oh, this is just anti-terrorism." But remember October seventh and rapes, and as twenty thousand plus people are dead, maybe thirty, uh, which is more than lived in my hometown when I grew up there, uh, fifty thousand. Uh, which is about as much as Bismarck in North Dakota, the nearest big city to me, maimed. Uh, Not to mention everybody hungry and their lives fucked because guess what? Every university and a lot of mosques, those are all smithereens now. Um, And yeah, like the thing, the press is like, I, I find it difficult because... I think the press has always been mendacious, and I think democratization of media has helped. I think Palestinian stories, like we we had a Palestinian on this program last year. Um, we had Palestinian, I
0: mean, Marine khaki, had, and, and and we also yep. had um, uh, Beza Adra from the West Bank on
2: as well. Exactly, and you know we had callers, for, uh, a Palestinian from Chicago who lived in the West Bank for seven years, um, calling today. Um, that stuff is. I think one of the reasons you are seeing movement on this with the younger people. I also know that like, I honestly think it's getting better from a period of having gotten really bad. Like I honestly think um, like you look at like even during the post nine eleven era and George Bush uh, occasionally being like, Hey, you got to chill on your response to uh, IDF soldiers getting killed by uh, Hamas because uh we just can't support you if you kill civilians in response to that. Like that was what Israel is doing. Like, and that's the conversation that uh, when we talk about civilians and who actually supports the killing of civilians, well, if you take, take civilians out of it, Palestinians have a right to target the IDF, which is an occupying army that is recognized by the United (laughs) Nations. Um, And for the longest time, you know, uh, we had went through this period where, I think it was you know i it's hard to say i think it's just waves of bad to worse and bad to worse because um you know i'd like to think it was maybe a little bit better during the plo time um but you you had this thing where like in 2000 in the 2010s or whatever it'd be like the uh, idf people would get killed and that's terrorism it's like that's not terrorism actually (laughs) um and ultimately it's like creating it's i mean we all know this it's creating a cycle of violence um, well, that to, is we're all dealing to your with.
1: point, like I just and I'll open this up to, to David too. Like, I um, don't know if there could have been a worse Democratic president of the available picks who's more ideologically aligned with Israel. Um, I think Obama would have been better on this, um, given his
2: that's the reporting now is uh, Biden was uh Israel's guy in the White House then. I mean, not I mean, that Obama. Biden
1: yeah. talks still like about his 1970 something conversation with Gold in my ear as if like, you know, we're supposed to be moved by the fact that you're making policy based on some discussion you had 50 years ago um, with somebody who is by uh, <laughs> you know was problematic already. But like, a racist. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a racist already. But I mean that that's the thing is is like Obama when before he ran for state senate he was at palestine you know photographed at at palestine events or pro palestine conversations he buried all that stuff obviously but he had an acrimonious relationship with netanyahu i mean i'm sure netanyahu um (laughs) didn't like the shade of his skin to a degree but also i just think he oh I, i think he had an instinctive understanding of what this was and biden as a deep believer and 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 we had um and Peter Beinart made this point, and I just think it's so excellent—a um, deep believer in like the mythology of America being a promised land on a hostile frontier, and Biden being so obsessed with like the mythology of America, going back to you know his speech, I guess at the 2016 convention uh, in favor of Hillary Clinton when he said, "This is America, come on!" and he ended it like that. He's always yeah. been an American exceptionalist, and that is exactly. What I think informs his, his, and of course, like that generation, it's, it's, they think of it as Holocaust reparations, but, but, but too, like yeah. the, the American mysticism of it, I think he, he, he graphs that onto Israel.
0: But let's, say, let's, think... let's just be really clear here. Sorry, I just, I, I, I yeah. just yeah. have to, because this always gets brought up as like. Oh, you know, for the older generation, they remember, like, the nice kibbutz version of Israel, right? This yeah. this desert land yeah. of, of, of farmers and socialists. And, like, this is gold. And this is something, by the way, I just pulled this up from Twitter. Um, You know, people are sharing this positively today still, right? We can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. We cannot forgive them for forcing us to kill their children. Yeah. Uh, we will only have peace with the Arabs when they love their children more than they hate us right it and a, it's like it that level of you know obfuscation of something that is again what is the fundamental problem here is that we israel has been set up as a state at the exclusion of a fat, of a significant in fact the majority population in the region and there is no way to put a progressive sheen on that lord help us all a social sheen on that from the get go when you say we are setting up a state with a certain group of people who are the ones who are going to be taken care of and who we're doing this for necessarily you're going to be excluding the vast majority of people and most importantly in this case the palestinians um and there really is no other way that this can go other than apartheid and you know and and, and pushing people out of their lands and their homes um you know so the, yeah. anyway i i wasn't saying this to contradict anything you're saying i am it's just like you know this yeah. kind of like bizarre this bizarre thing where it's just like oh well these old american liberals they remember it better nicer israel right the left-wing version of israel is just as bad as the right wing one
1: in the sense of like what the
0: fundamental role is you know trust
1: me i'm in a total agreement with you on there and i i think our generation a little bit is more primed to hear that kind of argument
2: yeah um well i also want to touch on uh runner-up bum steer of the year 2023 john fetterman and, uh, return to a topic that got Emma and I in trouble with a large number of majority report audiences because I am sick of hearing about awareness, uh, for ah. mental health. I am here about, I am interested in providing mental health with the fucking state, just like other healthcare. And I'm tired of this, all these rich kids, uh, John Fetterman descended from, uh, slave owners, according to Greg Grandin, uh, I think that's interesting, um. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he was on Meet the Press. And this interview, I David knows this. I watched this whole thing sped up before because I, I I wanted to make sure... You make sure it's he,
0: not fast. <laughs> I,
2: well, I wanted to make sure... I didn't do that yet. I'm sure it's good, though. But I wanted to make sure he didn't say, like, oh, actually, we should be doing uh, Medicare for All, including mental health thing. He does not. It is 40 minutes of... How brave are you, big man? How did you get the bravery to be so brave about this mental health? Mental health is good. People should do mental health. Oh, thank you. How did you determine it? How are you doing? Now, 40 minutes of this patting him on the back bullshit. And it's it's all this, you know, don't be ashamed. That is not... The obstacle in this country—that is an obstacle in many countries that actually provide this thing and don't price discriminate people out of it. But I don't fucking—I don't deal with that. When I hear people saying like, "I wish I could talk to somebody," or "I wish I could," uh, you know, maybe get some kind of medication, it is the price that they are fucking uh, concerned about, not ooh, I just mm, right. And the, it's a secondary issue for me. The people that have that coverage and don't use it, and I think it's one worthy of emphasis. By say like Ted fucking Lasso, uh, if you control power in the United States Senate, ta- where's the money? Okay, and so here's uh, just to put that up there because people misunderstand somehow where I'm coming from on this. And, and that just that confirms to me that the choice that I made to talk about this, and even though there may be fallout on on my political
1: career but i'm going to lean into that and have that conversation because if 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 you know i was lucky i was grateful and anyone that's having that conversation with themselves they have to stop it right now stop it right now and and get help and if if this is the kind of the wake-up call that somebody might hear then then that's why i'm
2: here Mm. in october the senate formed the mental health caucus A bipartisan caucus. You, of course, are a part of this group. What do you hope to accomplish? Uh, I'm hope to expand the awareness. Yep, that's all you need. Uh, So it's a bipartisan (laughs) Senate caucus around expanding awareness. And he's doing this as he becomes one of the more belligerent and unthinking and unreflective supporters of an ethnic cleansing halfway around the world fuck this guy man and look like i think we always qualified during the oz race like this guy um uh you know he's he's got some labor support but uh there's some weird things about him and he, also he literally i think let the israel lobby rewrite his mm-hmm. uh campaign uh page about that policy um so this isn't a, a shock shock But the degree to it is, you know, I think a little bit surprising.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a very quick turn. And I think we've noted on the show that uh, he is not up for re-election for quite a while. He has a six-year term and he got elected in 2022. So this is not the kind of thing where I optimistically thought, all right, he's making this Pro-Israel turn for the general essentially, and he's trying to stave off the kind of money he's seeing happen around the road from where, uh, down the road from my, you know, where he used to be the mayor in, um in Braddock to Summer Lee in in the Pittsburgh area where she was getting shellacked, mm. and that was a bit naive to be honest with you, um, because this is clearly I, I you <laughs> alluded to this map before uh, we went on our holiday break. Um, the fact that you feel like this is some sort of cinema kind of turn, and this is like the exact kind of politics that someone like her tries to promote, which is the, the something like a awareness, right, or bipartisanship around like a, a some like a wet fart or something like that, and we're supposed to all cl- clap and, and feel happy about that. But um, w- those kinds of terms like awareness or um, You know, coming together or getting the word out there when they come from someone in government should really raise alarm bells, which means like, I'm not gonna do my fucking job. Like, I'm here to be a mascot and I'm not gonna change anything meaningful. And so, like, Featherman sidestepped Medicare for all in the general as well. He also, um, you know, of course, with the Israel stuff, those were some of the red flags at that time at that point. But now he's kind of making a turn to not just being some sort of middle of the road Democrat, but actually somebody that might be a real obstacle to any kind of leftist progress. And for this, his this turn of him of his is the exact reason people get disenchanted by politicians and by politics and Mm, don't want to engage in it. Because um, you just look through his Twitter history and search the word progressive. Dozens, (laughs) dozens, hundreds of times, that's what he identified as. And now that he's gotten into power, he says he is not that. And so, you know, for people who maybe have a more electoral focus, political, and and that was me in the past, for sure, you know. um, But people who are just starting to get interested in politics and see things through an electoral lens... This is the kind of thing that will get them to disengage entirely and that's what i think is so like gross about this in in, in many ways
0: you know i mean i i'll just say two quick things it's like one the 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 fucking awareness is like that is just such like elite politics and it's like with politicians or just rich people right i mean you know um there's a whole cottage industry right now for like rich folks to sort of unwind and relax and and it's been a shame that like mental. Sorry, health just
2: this yeah. reminds me of like the Jonah Hill where he's using like <laughs> all of the therapy speak to basically control his girlfriend from not being a surfer girl anymore. It, like it, that. Yeah, like it,
1: it also reminds me. I'm sorry again of Real Housewives when I watch it and they're like, "We're going to a scoliosis awareness charity," and it's just them. Yeah. Like, the an opportunity for them to wear an outfit and go and, mm-hmm. like, get get some free drinks. But anyway, keep going.
0: No, <laughs> no, no. I, I also totally, like, here's the thing is, like, there's, like, actual, like, taking care of, like, mental health and, and these things, which should be a, a right for people. And it's something that is vastly neglected in this country because of costs and access for normal people who have access to those kind of things you know, Lord help you all. If you have to deal with a real mental health crisis and you are a working class person in this country, you're just more likely to get fired than to get treatment, frankly. Um, You know, so when you see these people in positions of power, you know, doing what Fetterman is doing right now, it's disgusting if it's just like oh we're dealing with the stigma well, what stigma we're we talking about here because the real burden as Matt was saying is cost right so this is elite politics and it's just the way that a lot of like elites in this country use mental health discourse to be like well from my perspective I think this and I feel this way right which is an attempt to try to shield themselves from criticism and I'm sorry if you are an elected official all the criticism that comes at Fetterman is 100% viable and valid um right now somebody who seems yeah. to have a perverse pleasure in harassing um, anti-genocide ad- advocates in this country, um, the other thing with with veteran that I think is really clear, and you know, even doing a little bit of of, of self-criticism here, um, is that I think it it shows exceptionally um, the the dangers of our movement. Trying to ride the coattails of other folks, right? So, like, you know, you look at some of the other kind of like, let's say, DSA electeds in this country who we've had disagreements with and frustrations with, right? And those are you know, important. And, you know, we, we covered those on this program. You can see there's a vast difference between an AOC who gets a lot of criticism and a Fetterman who gets a lot of criticism, right? AOC is at least going to be a little like, again, this, she's not lockstep. This is a criticism all the time. But Fetterman, I mean, Lord help us all. This person is in a whole other league than any of these other folks. And I think it, it sort of shows that like we can't sort of after the fact, after an election has sort of started being like, oh, this person is going to be a champion of our values. Um, because somebody like this very quickly has shown um, that, that, that that they're very, very quick to turn their back on it. Um, and you know fetterman i mean a lot of people got really excited about this guy and like what we've got from him is like you know oh don't stigmatize me for mental health and also like let me dress however the fuck i want um neither of those things are like at the top of the list uh for what we need progressive or lord help us like democratic socialist politicians to be doing
1: also a little focused on him a little bit focused on him
0: yes that's cinema too
1: Exactly. Well, that's, I mean, that's where you're, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, to me, that's a huge red flag when someone's personal branding is coming ahead of their issues. Um, go ahead, Matt.
2: And then it becomes like, oh, I, they think of themselves like, like they're being, like, they're going to have a biography, like Thomas, Thomas Jefferson, like whatever. Like, no <laughs> one gives a fuck about you, actually. And like, like, Christian cinema, like, I should, I... I was elected here to exercise my independent like no you weren't you were elected by democrats who wanted the balance of power on their side um and uh but like Fetterman saying uh Israelis want a senator standing with them like who gives a fuck Israelis are insane they're like yeah like Israelis actually it's actually something to be said about um you know Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders saying like you know we can't support the Bibi Netanyahu it's like the 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 problem with bb's it's a pretty minor split um we have a wide scale problem with israeli society and they need to not be any under any illusions that actually just this guy uh is our only problem with can (laughs) uh, i uh, send you
1: something i know again this is not my show but this is yeah i got it pertinent this thread here um i just saw this Just to speak to like how radicalized Israeli society has become. I know we're we're off Fetterman and back to the only topic I think about. That's what I we're saying, up. yeah. Yep. Um, so like this basically was this poll that showed that um, I guess it's an IDI poll, so the Israel Israel Democracy Institute, and um, they asked the U.S. is demanding Israel shift to a different phase of the war. With an emphasis on reducing the heavy bombing of densely populated areas should israel agree to this demand only 59.1 percent of israeli jews say it should by the way nate yeah. tankus has been great on this but if you scroll down like the focus of um the article here is this main thing main main thing mainstream press is reporting from this poll is 15 of israeli adults um, want netanyahu as prime minister after the war so netanyahu has very little support but the main alternatives Gans, Benny, and Lapide mm. or sorry right. Gance, Bennett, and Lapide, support these uh, the Gaza genocide. And like, yeah. you know, he the thread goes through a list of what they support, but people can look that up, I guess. Um I just think that that's really notable, too, because it's it's the the just criticizing the right wing Netanyahu government. Um, And that's a problem with Bernie Sanders' rhetoric on this front. I understand it's more palatable to a mainstream audience. But, you know, 80% of the Israeli population is in lockstep in full support of the massacre in Gaza. And everybody who could potentially take over for Netanyahu... I mean, Naftali Bennett just took out an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying that we need to do regime change in Iran. So, like, what are the alternatives here? You said this today, Matt, it's not going to come from inside Israeli society. I mean, the population has become, due to decades of militarization and radicalization and like a a propaganda apparatus that pound for pound is the most robust in the world. And yes, I'm including like Russian propaganda and everything that the United States audience rings its hands over. Like they (sighs) really have completely hermetically seal the Israeli population from the humanity of the Palestinian people. And it's going to take a Truth and Reconciliation Committee, an international coalition to go in there and say, we're not fucking around here. You're a population of 9 million people. No more USAID. Not, no no more of this. We're working right. towards some sort of solution. Um, and that will also require, in my opinion, an actor on an, uh, another actor... Um, that is not the United States or, the, or Great Britain to adequately provide a counterweight to the Palestine for the Palestinian people in this kind of uh, discussion, because the U.S., you know, prior to Bush, positioned itself as a neutral arbiter in this situation. And that veneer has been long gone. Um, and it, it was obviously a joke before. But but anyway.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that's the thing is like the these sort of um, the polling about the Israelis, one shouldn't super be a shock, but also it's something to keep in mind whenever an IDF spokesperson says, well, look at all these Palestinians that support Hamas. And uh, why a uh, a one group would support resistance fighters who may even have like hate in their ideology and uh, use violence um, up to terrorism? Why would they support that? The answer that Sam Harris would say is to look into their holy book or something like that. And uh, it's the same thing, same reason why you don't look to the Old Testament to find (laughs) out why Israelis are acting that way. The answer for both is this is a settler colonial project, which is fundamentally violent. It's about gerrymandering the Holy Land for a certain group of people at the expense of others. And yeah, this is what's going to happen about that until the world um, and the world is pretty aware of that. Like you know, the UN has always been actually. Those Palestinians should have the right to return to their villages that they were uh, removed from. Like some of this stuff is not actually uh, is not actually um, controversial. But I think did I just freeze? So I'll let somebody else talk.
1: We, we can hear you, but yeah, like okay, no.
0: not to us, yeah. Um,
2: but okay. yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's where we're at.
0: And like you know, like there there's just. It's, right now it's it's almost hard and, and feels a little glib even to start talking about like solutions because the first thing that has to end is uh you know the bomb again I mean we're having announcements from Israel oh they're, they're pulling back some of their forces but uh, we're gonna have on the ground military operation in Gaza for the entire year of 2020 right in the states I I think a lot of liberals have become fairly uncomfortable uh with what's happening with the Israeli government um but because as as we were sort of talking about earlier almost all of it sort of like netanyahu netanyahu is the trump of israel and if you get rid of the trump of israel then you know things will get better as as you were just pointing out
1: exact conversations yes
0: and you know and, and and no it's just like netanyahu continues to maintain support in the country i mean i think that he's probably finished because people are mad at him for the failures uh on the security side that led to october 7th so if, if he does lose power it's not because people are upset with the bombing campaign it's because they think that you know the, the prison wall should be taller and more well guarded um but you know with american liberals it's like there, there's nothing that the israeli government can do at this point that will move them i naively thought that when Netanyahu came and gave an address to Congress against Obama's orders, that that might actually change some dynamics. Poof, that was wrong as hell. Um, you know, people were mad. There was maybe an op-ed in the Washington post. Oh, he shouldn't have done this, um, but almost immediately returned to the embrace. Um, you know,
2: I, I just, to, on that note, like the pod Johns from pod save America and Tommy Vitor, honestly, not as bad as you'd expect on this. And I honestly think like that did have effect. It's just like, those guys are only so powerful like Obama genuine progressives. I don't know. Like if they're not working for Uber, you might have a chance. <laughs> um.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, to- I mean, th- those guys, I, 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 uh, I uh, met that guy, Tommy once. And like, I thought he was so nice. So I'm kind of biased to get for in his favor. <laughs> um, but that's just, uh, but like generally I, I, think it's like the the argument really does stop at Netanyahu for the most part um damn I had something I I had on my mind but I'm on like show number three at this point I know Uh, then
0: I do appreciate you
1: you no 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 I'm having a great time uh you keep talking they'll come to me
0: well I I, I'm you know I'm let me I I have a question to ask you and I just but before that I maybe want to paint the picture um early on um in in the bombing campaign of, of of Gaza um, we had a uh, Marine cocky on the program, who's a really great activist in San Antonio era area. And, you know, side note too, like, again, like this is a very dark and, and depressing time. And, and I, I, don't know why I keep on falling into the role of trying to be the ever optimist on things. What gives me strength and, and, and hope has been, uh, the refusal of a lot of Americans to sit by and let this happen. Uh, you know, I went to a, a March here in Austin, Texas, that was in the thousands, one of the largest a pro-palestinian demonstrations certainly in, in in texas but even in the country um you know and having that happen here you know in the face of our right-wing government all that stuff like that gives you a lot of inspiration uh for, for what's next there's been a lot of great work all across the country but also in texas on getting city councils uh you know to put out statements um, in opposition to the bombing campaign but going back to to marina just like in general talking to to palestinian americans You know, you hear all this stuff from folks like Fetterman, well, the Israelis need a voice in American government. I mean, what message does an Israeli-American get from the United States government right now when you have Joe Biden on camera denying the death tolls? Uh, When you have people in in positions of power equivocating, saying, end the occupation, uh, free Palestine, saying that that's anti-Semitic? You know, what message is that sent to them about not only the support in the government for them, but just the recognition... Of them as Americans too, you know, like as 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 equal citizens to the rest of us. I mean, it's been absolutely disgusting uh, to watch, and Joe Biden has been the ringleader of 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 this. And I'm I'm curious, Emma, which what, what your thoughts are on this about people who, you know, are operating from a position is like I can't, you know, back, uh, you know, a, a Biden 2024. Um, this what what we've seen right now is too devastating um you know the whole harm reduction strategy uh you know uh, when you see the context and what the what the actual reduction means does't seem like enough for people i'm just curious you know on 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 your thoughts um uh you know on on, on that yeah. question
1: i wish i had more coherent thoughts because like before this i would have i've said that i'm voting you know for joe biden i had said i'm voting for joe biden and um in New York just because like, I'll say it on the program and I want someone in Wisconsin or Michigan who hears what I have to say to also heed that example for the most part. Um, and I wanna live by it for- and vote in New York in the way that I would want my brothers and sisters in other states to vote in order to mitigate harm. But I um, I literally, I think about this every day, like right now. Um, because I'm, I've am i never in my life, um, had such a diff- you know, I, I- I had such a moral question about my vote. Um, and I think it'll become clearer in the months to come. That's really all I have for you, to be perfectly honest, because I've- I'm probably a little bit more lib than you guys, and that always <laughs> has been my philosophy. But I'm feeling a little shaken in that, given my, you know, my passion about obviously like the Palestinian issue, as they call it. Um, Mm. I know that's not a great answer, but I did remember what I was going to say earlier, because if if that's okay with you, Dave, if you don't mind, if I ask this question to you, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, because I really don't know at this point, Um, but... I'm wondering what you guys think about um, the geopolitical strategic importance of Israel as being kind of a submerged driver for the Biden administration and for people behind the scenes and whatever we call the deep state, whatever it is, Um, the military industrial complex, like the fact that we have this strip of land in the middle of the Middle East that's close to all of these strategic ports to oil fields it's essentially a de facto like you know colonial outpost for the west within the united or within the middle east um and how that influences things as well because like i feel like that doesn't necessarily get talked enough about because it is israel is uh portrayed with the mysticism of religion behind it as opposed to like the geopolitical strategy but i mean you know before it was uh israel as a country you know it was a british colony and there there was a reason behind that um what is essentially your read on that as one of the more submerged factors that we're dealing with here
0: you know i I, i'm curious what you think on this max we actually haven't talked about this too much but i think that one thing that's really notable um that does make you know the the steadfast support of israel that you get in america a little retro is that like before there was this kind of argument that like oh well there's support um you know for israel in the kind of like anti-soviet um position right just prevent maybe you know some kind of pan-arabism um or or, or socialist movements maybe taking power in, in the region israel could sort of be a bulwark against that you know, if you look at, at at the region, obviously Iran is a country that the United States wants to see, um, you know, ended. But Saudi Arabia, <laughs> the vast majority of the Gulf states are all very much moving more into the American and the European um, orbit. That, like, I don't know if that kind of like you know that that kind of cynical realpolitik argument about israel like holds as much water as it might have held in like the 70s and 80s and 90s
1: i think you're right i think i think you're right but maybe but that was potentially i would say you know part of what created whatever the frankenstein monster is now we basically have like if we're talking about the strategic value of like having access to the suez right the suez canal we've bought off cc and egypt to such a degree that that's kind of in the bag and that's part of also why the rafa crossing um it's just like hilarious as if people could just from from gaza can just cross all the way through and you know there's no uh <laughs> difficulty mm-hmm. in crossing that border or whatever it's because the cc the is acting with the interests of the united states in mind for that reason because of the amount of aid that we give them but um i I think that it's now become and I don't know when that point turned a deep like geopolitical quandary and negative element for the United States but I just wonder when that shifted and what like the w- w- when it shifted and if that even really necessarily was like something that was uh, one of the main drivers for a lot of folks before.
2: Yeah I mean um John Mearsheimer who uh upset a lot of people for his Russia stuff um but uh, also before he was pissing people off for that um which you know I, I think Mearsheimer um you know I I don't subscribe to his political philosophy um but to say he's an academic and he was doing work on the Israel lobby he wrote a book called the Israel lobby and that goes into like that's a, definitely an argument that like APAC will make which is uh you need us uh, you need us there. Uh, you, you you want us on that wall. You need us on that wall, sort of thing. <laughs> um, uh, but as you know, Mearsheimer and his co-writer point out, like in during the Iraq War, is kind of actually a big problem. <laughs> they needed Israel to really stand down. That's why you see some of George Bush being like, "Hey, uh, chill, Israel, because you're going to make us look." Like we're trying to conquer the world if you start acting up because people like interpret your actions in a way that they don't quite interpret ours yet um and you know I, I think norm finkelstein has a and i can't remember what his critique of that uh chapter is in uh in um one of his books um so i you know i think there's like open debate about that but i think like whichever way you come down on it it's contradictory right as you say this is not helpful to American interests. What's going on right now? Mm-hmm. the, the no. any sort of initiative or any sort of uh, uh, you know um, marshaling of world opinion, we're fucked. <laughs> like it's it's a complete embarrassment now.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, and I think it's also notable that you see very different leaks coming out from the State Department, or like I think a a, a, a shift in like what how Lloyd Austin presents publicly about what he feels about Israel versus what lincoln and biden do which is like full-on zionism um and i think there's just like a recognition in the pentagon that this is actually quite disruptive to whatever you know u.s strategic interests are in the region um mm-hmm. at this point point. and so it's at the point at this point like we just come back to it it's ideological for biden and that is actually quite scary
2: yeah and you know back to your voting point i mean my thing is and i'm not going to vote for biden in new york but I, I generally my guy my my philosophy hasn't changed much it's just like whichever whichever coalition's particularly labor wants you to go vote for it, just do that um uh but i, I also I, but my main issue with the um and why i say the thing about um that in addition to the i'm not voting for biden is like i also think there's a wrong message to send that like this is um, we're empowered at the ballot box to to not empower a genocide heir <laughs> because uh, America is that. And I think the, the the best case I would make for having a democratic power now is they're not able to pretend anything otherwise. This is, I think, very educational for a lot of people uh, to understand actually the face the problem we have with Zionism in the elite parts of government, and it is a bipartisan issue. And for me, like it, it needs to be led by things like the UAW coming out in support of a ceasefire. Like that's a sort of um, uh, or Starbucks workers, even like I think that sort of stuff um, that f- first of all, that's going to lead to a more uh, um, courageous member of Congress. That's like Greg Kassar or whatever. Like I, I think like that stuff, you're not going to see any bravery. uh over what you'd expect if it isn't led by something, both people in the streets like they've been, or these sorts of other movements uh, standing up and saying this is what we're, we want in our name. And oh, there's this guy. We need to get him on um, uh, uh, on, on the program. Um, I, I'm forgetting his name, but he's the leader of the mail union, and he's an anti-Zionist Jewish guy. And um, I need to look that up. But like the US those the, workers, Diamondstein. I need to look it up. Um, uh,
1: but USPS,
2: yeah, I believe it. Oh, that's um, really yeah. cool. Uh, as oh, yeah, Mark Diamondstein, he's got this piece in uh, The Nation. Um, as a union president, I stand with humanity and call for a ceasefire. I lead a union that stands for equality, international solidarity. And, and so, I don't like this. If people like decide to vote for uh, Joe Biden because they, I, I, I think that is perfectly fine because I don't, I don't think with a Putting the, I think Noam Chomsky is fundamentally correct when he says like this conversation where it's always z- magnifying glass put on election day, it's, it couldn't be more beside the point. The point is to build up these other organizations which can actually draw a stark contrast between the power structure, which is supporting mass murder right now, and point to a better
0: future. So, so just because I think it, it, it's fair since we asked Emma and, and you just gave it like, given like my kind of update here is like, I've always sort of maintained, I'm not, a, I, I've never been somebody who actually advocates for people to vote for the Democrat against the Republican um, or the other way uh, of like withholding your vote, because I just don't think that there's any kind of like coherent block necessarily yeah. in this country. Like if, if we like if we had an organization that held 20% of the elector or something like that, and that's an organization we are saying, we you know we'll do lesser evil or we won't do lesser evil then it becomes actually like politically meaningful what we're talking yes. about right now is like individual decisions in an unorganized political movement um and like for me like the the air and the energy and the the passion and the disagreement and the the breaking and and, and the dysfunction that comes out of the argument i find to be very boring frankly um and not particularly helpful um though so i will say what one thing that has sort of moved me particularly um you know recently has just been this idea that like if this isn't a punishing thing for Biden I think the message of that sense to the Democratic Party is devastating right if 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 Joe Biden can get away with this and, and 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 they're able to sort of be like oh well people are still afraid you know super afraid of the right wing that people will still fall in line that we don't actually need to move on questions of genocide um, I think that's a really devastating uh, message, both internally and most importantly for for people in the rest of the world. I mean, I think something like this, like, has to uh, be seen as, as as a lesson to Biden and, and the Democrats uh, that that supporting something like this, allowing something like this to happen, um, is is just a non-starter. And yeah. and that's sort of where I've moved from being somebody who's sort of passive about it generally and just sort of whatever people do to moving maybe into a more of a strong camp of saying like, I don't think. That
1: my, my skepticism no, no, I, I, yeah. my skepticism is just that like they don't the democrats don't really learn any lessons anyway right. about anything um in that in in when they lose elections um and usually the lesson is to move more towards the right like biden has some the lesson sort of, of 2016
2: in- sorry emma but the lesson of 2016 wasn't that people were fucking sick and tired of the shitty recovery that obama gave us it was that they were too sexist to anoint hillary <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And Russia or something like that. But I mean, the, the, and although, I mean, I would say, I think that there were some Democrats who weren't Clintonites that started to get it. Um, and they had like the, the instincts to understand it from, but from a leverage point, the problem with the presidential election is that the amount, the, the, we do not have to bring it back to your guys's point about labor, enough labor density in this country for to really get uh, elected officials on the presidential level to feel that kind of pain um i think the best avenue for me from electoral like uh, from an electoral perspective and getting um the supporters of this genocide to feel the pain is from going at Democrats for in primaries on that on that scale so like I haven't decided really what I want to do in New York because I do think about things like abortion I think about Trump saying he wants to come in and do the insurrection insurrection act on day one and I know that my vote won't really matter in New York but it's like about how I want to weigh my op weigh those opportunities to like between two options that are going to be the only options available to me um and lead in that way so that's really my perspective on it when I talk it through but if it were to happen today um I I genuinely don't know what I would do based on that but we're gonna have to like I think there will be some things that shift like we talked about on the show today but um Trump being so invisible for the past few months and not doing any of the debates has really helped him because people forget what it was like and uh, what it was like to have him be the president for that period of time and the chaos that that engendered. Um, Yeah, and so that's I think the calculation, unfortunately, the cynical one that Biden is making um, when it comes to the support of Israel.
0: I mean, that's that's the Democrats' only play right now is sort of like look at the right, and you know the thing that I think is it's really helpful. I mean, and, and abortion too, for sure. Um, you know, but I, I'll say the thing that really is helpful is when you look internationally on this too, is this is actually just the strategy for the center left across the board, all across the, the globe is the same thing. It's like, look how crazy the right is. Um, we're going to maintain our certain, certain kind of status quo things. I mean, this is what happened in Argentina recently. This is over and over and over. It's just like, yeah. if we can point to the right, and say how bad they are, um, you know, that that's going to be a winning strategy and look, some elections, 2020, that worked, there's no doubt about it. Right. 2016. It did, right. Um, you know, so it's not, it's not like a foolproof political strategy. And again, like for me, I will just say like on an interpersonal level, I'm, I'm not really worked up about what other people feel is, is right or wrong to do. I will say as organizational level, um, I think UAW not endorsing Biden is, is something that I very much, you know, um, for. Yes um the DSA continuing to not support Biden and just for the record because everyone always gets confused about this DSA never endorsed Biden um or any of these folks um right. in, in any of these elections I think and, and and media operations too I think um you know should, should be a little careful about endorsing something like this again at the end of the day whatever people do is going to be an individual decision because no one is voting in any kind of real coherent block at exactly. this point um, that I think that you can really <laughs> spend a lot of words and burn a lot of friendships over this in a way that is not particularly helpful. Um, but for me, more and more, and again, in it's the opposite of y'all in, in New York, but in Texas, it's you know, same kind of thing. The the result is you know, and, and, and Cornell West, somebody who I have a tremendous amounts of, of respect for, um, you know, who might be the person who I end up voting for, you know that wouldn't even be a vote in the sense of, of thinking that that was going to do anything either. Um, and I think that the, this is the thing that makes nobody happy, right? Cause people who are sort of, you have to vote for the Democrat um, or else you're basically supporting the right wing or get mad at you. And then like the people who are like, well, our vote is our opportunity to express ourselves politically get mad when I say, I don't really yeah. think it matters, but um, exactly. that's sort of where I'm at right now.
2: Yeah. And I can predict, I can predict my mission is going to be the same, uh, if Trump wins or if Biden wins, if Trump wins, it's yeah, motherfucker, don't support a genocide. If you want to ch- and do actually something on student loan usury, if you want to turn out those voting blocks, if, uh, if uh, Biden wins, it's well on balance, like labor supports you. And also the, the other people aren't any better shakes on Israel. And so like, like the, the message is just still the same. And because like, ultimately it's not, we're not authoring the outcome in any real sense anyway, because we don't have that coalition.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I, uh, I think you're right. I mean, I, I always will say that I think voting is about like a piece of strategy and it's about how you want stri- to like strategically express yourself. If you choose to in you're in a blue state or if you feel like your vote is not necessarily going to translate. Um, I understand that. I'm still in the, like, a little bit of a harm reduction mode, but, like, that's where we differ a little bit slightly, I'm sure. But, but I, I'm also I will just crashing say right now, so I might have to say goodbye to you guys. No, uh, that, sounds, that sounds good.
2: That's great, Emma. I just want to give <laughs> you, pitch one more thing to you. Is this a better man cave? You said you like Tommy Vitor. Is this a better man cave? <laughs> oh, um, oh,
1: for oh, me, I mean... Man. First of all, I need to know um Where, you, like, what AI generator you're using with this?
2: This is Dolly, um, yeah.
1: Did you pay for it?
2: <laughs> I I did, yeah. You
1: did <laughs> for for just. For I just I have games. to be able
2: to know. I, I'll be honest. This is this is. I've only used it a few times. I used it um, uh, because I wanted to get um. Hold on, I'll make myself appear here. I wanted to uh. I was reading. I wanted to see what train tracks going into a swamp in Minnesota looked like, and it did yeah. not give me very good uh, <laughs> uh, results. I gotta say, but um, uh, but I yeah, I need to. I need it's to, so
1: dense. It's this is what they said about like why the you know when the Star Wars prequels came out, and that's like what the big selling point was was how dense the imagery was, and there's so much going on in every. That's part a bad of it. sign.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's how I feel about your AI imagery.
2: All right. Well, Emma Viglin, thank you so much. She's also uh, the uh, proprietor of Emma Sports Viglin. Don't try to talk to her about basketball while football season's going on, though, because she won't hear it. But hey. uh, <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening.
1: Wait, wait. So um, <clears throat> there was a game played yesterday, though. I just... You, you want to break my heart me. again? It I was... know. Oh, wait, that wasn't actually gloating. Although I will say, so I bet Texas Moneyline and then when they were up, uh, I just was like, they're getting outplayed and I cashed out. So I still made money on it. Um, well, I'm
0: glad no, that those definitely, I mean, that, you know, I'm not a better, but I, I definitely like earlier in the first quarter, I was like, oh, Lord, we have no answer. At-
1: I will say I had $10 in there and I was like, I, like, I don't want to go to zero. So I'm taking like a two or three week break. And then I came well, back and I'm up with my little bets. I'm at 140. I'm really rolling. You might appreciate this, Emma.
0: I had like a little bit of a family emergency, so I had to fly out of out of the state. So I was traveling yesterday, which you know, yeah. very out of character for me to ever be in a difficult situation to watch a Texas game, especially one like that. So I was flying during the game and I'm watching it on the plane and literally the plane lands when Texas was attempting the off- onside kick yeah so the kit goes in and i see washington recovering literally the plane landed so the wi-fi and everything collapsed and i'm sorry it's game over and i'm just (laughs) like i'm walking through the airport just sort of devastated sort of rationalizing what just happened and i look up at the goddamn television and texas has the ball on the 15 yard line with like four throws and i watched every single one of those you know after already sort of accepting the loss yeah it was it was tough but i'm proud of them. you know
1: I'll say though. Um, well, I was really trolling Matt there just because the Knicks uh, actually beat his Timberwolves uh, yesterday. in yeah. the Um But 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 uh, Michael Penix. Like you guys lost to. He's my um he's my guy now. I'm uh, lefty lefty quarterback, big <laughs> rocket arm. Giants picking at number five. Let's go. Oh, That's what go. I want. All right. Well, go. what's
0: very exciting is the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year. So. Oh,
1: yeah, it's um. your year. It's your year, for sure. Mike McCarthy, <laughs> he knows what he's doing down there.
0: Emma, appreciate thank you guys. so
2: much. Yeah, uh, seriously, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, guys. Yeah. See
2: ya. See ya. Well, thanks, Emma. She stayed for much longer than uh, uh, I'd asked her
0: for, so I really
2: appreciate well, no, it. I,
0: I do appreciate that. It's always great chatting um, with the great Emma Vigeland. Folks, we're going to go to the post game where we got some fun clips. We'll be taking a couple of voicemails and questions from the audience. So you join us over there, at Patreon.com/leftreckoning. Before we jump over, Matt, you got something interesting on your shirt here. You might want to tell people about. Get one, folks. Do. We
2: got the Left Reckoning Fence Cutters. Land is for the people. T- uh, not T-shirt. This is a very warm sweatshirt so if you like me have uh, difficulty staying cold in your the place <laughs> that you live because <laughs> you don't actually control the heat um and it's very drafty uh i recommend it it is i i'm, I'm a fan of warm clothing it's very nice and comfortable <laughs> uh you don't need even need a blanket uh when you're uh out lounging on the couch with this thing on so uh, yeah uh, what's the leftreckoningcom store
0: leftreckoning.com store and you know it's not just that hoodie we got our great plains t-shirt our classic left reckoning um uh what's what do you call it arms on it tank top (laughs) (laughs) i i I will say you know we get and also if you have them um you know tag us some pictures we love to share those we got a, a, a fellow who's been wearing their left reckoning cap so much. It was completely destroyed. Um, love that. You know, so we love seeing it being out there hey, and use folks. Buy
2: several. Buy several at the same time. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Protect yourself um, and, and, and your investment. Um, but really, it does help us continue to do the show. We're really looking up forward to 2024. We've got some incredible guests uh, coming up in January. I can't wait to announce some of them very soon with all of y'all. It's not over though patreon.com left reckon to get access to the post game you also get the sunday bonus episode i'm back on thursdays with the and q a stream every week uh, so come and visit us there uh, do appreciate everyone hanging out with us and we'll see you soon
2: thank you folks and yeah we will see you yep. in the post game in about 15 minutes
0: about 15 minutes patreon.com left reckon to keep hanging out